in over 100 countries in seven different languages to more than a half billion viewers each week. The World Wrestling Federation, the worldwide leader in sports entertainment. How does an athlete distinguish himself in the World Wrestling Federation? Some challenge the boundaries of their physical limits, sacrifice their bodies, mortgage their youth. Some go beyond. This renegade is the embodiment of defiance, cursing authority, combatting the establishment. He'd just as soon spit in the face of the devil than shake his maker's hand. These hardcore warriors embrace kamikaze-like practices, risking pain and injury in their sadistic attempt to satisfy. And these self-proclaimed outlaws took their pursuit of notoriety to the horrifying edge and beyond. Has this nihilistic attitude polluted the spirit of competition? Have some men crossed sacred lines? Tonight, athletes who defy convention Adversaries who have gone too far may dare go even farther. And now, Western Union presents No Way Out of Texas. Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex taking you through this week solo as Patrick needed a week off. We'll hope to see Patrick again in the near future, but until then, it's just me. I hope you're okay with that. And this week's review is No Way Out, In Your House, WWF's In Your House event from February 15th, 1998. But before we get into that, just a couple of quick news items for you. Slammiversary Impact's premier pay-per-view did pretty well this year. Not sure about the buy rate, but as far as the reception that it got, it featured the return of Motor City Machine Guns, it featured the return of EC3, Eric Young. It was very well received and one of Impact's best productions in years, but to me, I only watched the Motor Machine Guns match, so I'm not sure about the rest of the quality of the pay-per-view. It also featured it also featured a very good women's title match. Um, so there was a lot to like on that pay-per-view. Unfortunately, the WWE's Extreme Rules this year, uh, very, in my opinion, very, very poor production, including Rey Mysterio losing an eyeball, which is something that I didn't think I would ever see in the WWE, but he lost an eyeball in an eye-for-an-eye match, and then Bray Wyatt's weird match in the Swamp against one Braun Strowman, which was not for the title. So, the fact that Extreme Rules Horror Show clocked in at 2 hours 30 minutes, I'm gonna give it a thumbs up. I haven't seen any of it, but I'm gonna give it a thumbs up because that's the length that their pay-per-views need to go, no matter what it is. And the other news note that I have for you for this week is Sarah Logan and Eric from the Viking Raiders revealing that their baby will be a boy. They're going to have a boy Viking Raider, so congratulations to them. Many people have a lot of moments in their life, a lot of time-stamped moments that they remember forever. Like, where were you when the Oklahoma City bombing happened? Where were you 
on 9-11? Where were you when JFK got shot, if you're a little older? For me, one of the few things that I remember is where I was on February 15th, 1998, and that's at a friend's house with his dad's illegal descrambler box set to watch my first pay-per-view on television. I had already been to one in Chattanooga in person, but I'd never seen any other outside of Scramble Vision, which for all of you mid-30-year-olds, when you didn't have pay-per-view and didn't buy it, you had it on cable still, but it was scrambled, so sometimes the audio would come through and sometimes the picture would come through for a few seconds so you could watch Scramble Vision pay-per-view. This was the first time I had seen a wrestling pay-per-view not on Scramble Vision. This is February 15, 1998, The Road to WrestleMania 14, which we've already reviewed. Of course, the big headline match being Shawn Michaels against Stone Cold Steve Austin for the WWF title with special guest enforcer Mike Tyson. Now, unfortunately, for this pay-per-view, and because it's also a February pay-per-view, there's not a lot on the line because February and December pay-per-views we've talked about the last few weeks there's really not a lot to do because you don't want to mess up your WrestleMania card. You have pretty much got it set in stone. You don't want to mess up your Rumble card in December. And you've pretty much got these four months, or three months, depending on where WrestleMania fell. you pretty much got these set in stone, so you don't want to mess them up. But unfortunately, for this pay-per-view, even though it was happening... In Houston, Texas, which was only two hours and 48 minutes from San Antonio, where Shawn Michaels lived. Shawn Michaels was not going to make this pay-per-view because he had a back injury from the Royal Rumble, which we all know about. We've heard about it a million times. He had a casket match against The Undertaker and fell on the casket, hurt his back, and after WrestleMania, which he did show up for would not wrestle again in a WWF ring until 2002. So this was an injury that took him out for a very long time, but this was the pay-per-view in between the Rumble and WrestleMania. Now, also, it's kind of odd that he didn't show up for it considering it's a multi-man tag. It's an eight-man tag, not an elimination match. Shawn Michaels does not have to take a pinfall on this, does not have to take a finisher, doesn't have to do anything. So... I really don't understand why he couldn't have shown up, even if it was just to give his spot away to who eventually replaced him, who was a terrible choice, but when I went through my memory, I couldn't think of anybody else in the locker room to replace him. The only other person was The Undertaker, who was a face at the time and couldn't join the heel team and was not backstage, still selling the fact that he was burnt alive at the Royal Rumble, so... I really don't know what direction they could have gone in his replacement. So I would have just had Shawn Michaels show up and stand there. Because that's all you have to do in a multi-man tag match. That's the whole point of a multi-man tag match, is that you don't have to do work if it's not an elimination match. You don't have to even take a bump. Shawn Michaels could have hobbed down and walked away. But it all comes down to those magic words that every combat sports pay-per-view you've ever gotten has, which is card subject to change. Because there was no indication on the Raw before this, or the Raw before that, or anything after Royal Rumble that Shawn Michaels was going to miss this pay-per-view. No, this was booked and sold as if he was going to appear until you tuned in 
that night and saw that Shawn Michaels wasn't there, or you showed up at the arena at the Compaq Center, which shows you what year it is, 1998, where Compaq was a brand and could afford a stadium sponsorship. This is where the Rockets played, I imagine, in Houston. And uh, so there was no warning you of this, and I'm sure they went over just like they do at house shows on the PA before the show started and said, Shawn Michaels isn't going to be here if you want to leave and want to refund you can leave now, before the end of the first match. But you've already paid for parking, you've already paid for your tickets, your kid probably doesn't care if he's there or not. You're the only person that cares as an adult, because I was a kid, it was 1998, I was born in uh, 86, I was like uh, 11 years old, I didn't care, it didn't matter to me, I was just there to see wrestling uh, on this the scrambler box, so it didn't matter to me, so... A lot of people in the crowd aren't going to leave. And also, Stone Cold is still going to be there. This is also in Texas, by the way. So, Stone Cold is still going to be there. He's a Texas icon as well. So, why not? Let's just stick through it. Any, it's not like the main event was was a singles match for the belt or anything else for the belt. This was a throwaway pay-per-view. This entire pay-per-view was a throwaway and uh, I hope that in your house pay-per-views in 98 were still priced to in your house prices even though this one went three hours it shouldn't have but it did uh, in your house pay-per-views used to be like ten dollars cheaper than a regular pay-per-view so if that was the case and you only spent 20 bucks and you kind of knew what to expect you kind of knew nothing was going to happen if you were educated WWF fan about February pay-per-views. I think you would have stuck with this. But anybody else, anybody that was buying in for the first time would have been like, what the fuck is this? This is false advertising, bait and switch. This sucks. No Way Out from Texas in your house, 1998, starts with one of those great WWF promo packages. How does an athlete distinguish himself in the WWF Yes, how does an athlete, not a sports entertainer, distinguish himself in the WWF? Western Union presents No Way Out of Texas, which they would remind you of several times. JR and King have the call. Who will be the eighth man in the eight-man tag tonight? King says Shawn Michaels can't be replaced, so immediately, King shits on the pay-per-view. Well, you can't really replace the guy that has to be replaced. And... Uh, JR mentions the match has been changed to a no-DQ match, so even if he doesn't show up, it's still going to be fun to watch because it's no-DQ. It's probably a good thing Patrick didn't review this pay-per-view with me because his favorite wrestler, Mark Merrow, is out first, as it seems like most of our episodes of Retro Wrestling Podcast feature Mark Merrow in the first match. But this is boxing, golden gloves, Mark Merrow with Sable. Sable uh, getting to the peak of her popularity. Merrow starting his jealous of Sable gimmick for getting all the attention as no one cares about him. And they are joined by the artist formerly known as Gold Dust, who is out as Marilyn Manson, or Marilyn Dust as he's called, uh, with a beautiful people ripoff. He had a uh, ripoff theme here as he came out in his girdle and white powder makeup, which in 2020, it's funny to think that Marilyn Manson was a big deal. Just like in 1998, it was funny to think that Alice Cooper was a big deal just because they were dudes in makeup. And now, 
uh, that's not a big deal. And uh, Marilyn Manson, his career has pretty much followed that same line where it's not a big deal anymore <laughs> to to parody him. But in 1998, he was still very relevant and very controversial. And I mean, this guy, this singer, had well, a singer originally that was the name of the band, and then he took the name Marilyn Manson and. I mean, he got blamed for Columbine, he got blamed for anything bad that happened in the world it was because people were listening to Marilyn Manson music, so he was a very controversial subject in 1998. Sable cost Goldust a match on Raw. How dare you? Those are very, very important. This caused a rift between Luna and Sable, who would later on be friends in the Oddities stable. Uh, Luna and Sable would get together. For I guess because they had both had blonde hair. They were both uh, very upset at all the blonde jokes over the years. But right now they're very angry with each other. Mark Mare grabs the mic and tells Sable to hit the showers because there's only room for one beautiful lady in this match. And her name is Luna Vachon. So get out of here. And Sable just leaves. She doesn't put up a fight at all. JR mentions this is the first event here in Houston since the Rumble from 1989. They almost won a decade without a TV uh, event from Houston. They would go on, of course, X7 would be held in Houston, but at the Astrodome, which is where Nitro was running shows. Nitro ran shows in the Astrodome, not the Compact Center. So, the disparity between the two companies still very apparent here in 1998. This tag team of Mero and Goldust are taking on the Headbangers. Mero does some boxing stuff in the corner to Mosh. Mosh stops it by clotheslining Mero out of the ring. Goldust tags in and the Headbangers take turns getting the heat on him, including Thrasher throwing Mosh from the buckle down to Goldust on the mat for a near fall. Goldust makes a blind tag to Mero. He takes over on Thrasher. Goldust low bridges Thrasher out of the ring. Merrill slams his head on the steps, and he's bleeding, so Thrasher doing some color here in the opening match. I think unintentional color. So Merrill brings him into the ring and kicks at it and opens it up more, because, hey, this is a blessing for us, as blading was pretty limited still in 1998. Goldust comes in and tees off on him. But Mero stays in and puts on a rest hold. King makes a Chumbawamba reference here for 1998. Thrasher elbows out of a chin lock, but eats a knee lift from Mero. Mero just beats him down, tags in Goldust. Thrasher hits a crossbody to Goldust for a near fall. Goldust tags Mero back in. Mero chokes Thrasher with his wrist tape, which should have been a DQ. Then we get Mero sucks chance from the crowd. A sit-out powerbomb to Thrasher for a two-count. Then Mero looks for the TKO the uh, preliminary version of the F5, but Thrasher counters it to a DDT, and the crowd pops big for it, even though it's Mosh and Thrasher. And Mosh gets the hot tag, runs wild, the headbangers flapjack Goldust, but Merrow breaks the cover. Luna stops Thrasher from helping Mosh. Mosh is all alone as Sable comes back out to the ring. A TKO for Merrow is hit to Mosh. Merrow goes and grabs Sable, but then Goldust holds Luna back because it's going to be a cat fight if they don't. And the Headbangers use twin magic as Thrasher pins Mero for the win. When he gets back into the ring, he replaced Mosh after the TKO and rolled up Mark Mero. So twin magic used by the Headbangers to get the win. And Sable and Luna get restrained while the crowd says, let them fight. Let them fight. They don't fight and everyone leaves angry. So... 
There you go. Sable shove Mark Marrow. So that was a big deal, I guess. But this was, just like every other match on this pay-per-view, something that was meant for Raw at the time. That was the only show. So this was meant for Raw. This was meant to advance a storyline. This was not meant for a pay-per-view. Pay-per-views are meant for payoffs or the, the end of the story or a continuation with... Uh, you know, a sort of an asterisk, uh, a way to continue it, a way to continue storylines, but not necessarily keep building them. And so, everything that happened on the show just it could have been on a Monday Night Raw, and you wouldn't have known the difference. And so, that's my biggest problem with this pay per view, and one of the reasons that I absolutely hate it. It's not the worst pay per view we've ever seen on uh, Retro Wrestling Podcast, but it's. It's up there. It's probably in the top 10, maybe top 20. I'm, I might even give it that much leeway because there's nothing There's nothing really awful about it. There's no terrible matches. There's no negative five-star matches on it. It's just there's nothing happens. It, it's totally skippable. It's a waste of time and money. And unfortunately... That's what I did to review this the second time, was waste time. When I watched it in 1998, I was a kid. We stole it from the cable company. That was fine. But now I went back and used my time in, in, in this era of COVID-19 and all this pandemic and all this limited time. I've got a baby daughter who, who I could see, and I spent almost three hours watching this. That's why it's not a good pay-per-view, but... We'll get into that more as the show goes on. Up next, Owen Hart is with Michael Cole. He says he'll stay out of Stone Cold Steve Austin's way because they're on the same team, but watch out, Triple H. Well, first of all, I could really give a damn who they pick for their partner. It really doesn't matter to me. And as for you, Stone Cold Steve Austin, you stay out of my way, and I'll stay out of your way, and there won't be a problem. But as for you, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, there will be a problem. Because just because I have the European title, it doesn't mean that I'm done with you. When I get in the ring, I am going to bust your legs. As you know, Owen Hart broke Stone Cold Steve Austin's neck. But here in 1998, they're both on the face team, so they're, they're going to get along for this match. Sonny is out next to be a ring announcer. as She was totally lost. Tammy Sitch here in 1998, totally lost and would be out of the company before the year was over. She's out next to be the ring announcer for the light heavyweight championship match. Pantera is out to take on Taka Mishinoku. Brian Christopher comes out to watch the match. He's not happy about Pantera beating him for this opportunity, so Jerry puts him at ringside to do guest, guest commentary. JR brings up their family resemblance. That was their big bit in the late 90s, was JR always pointing out, hey, that's your son, and Jerry Lawler always saying, no, that's not my son. And uh, it was the son. Pantera does a head scissors, but ends up outside and Taka springboards out the clothesline. Taka is just awesome here. And it really highlights why he should have been in WCW, not in WWF, <laughs> to compete against like Rey Mysterio and uh, not Pantera. Though Pantera did a good job here, but not to compete against Brian Christopher and, of course... Uh, the Scott Putskys of the world so that he could have been in some good competition with the cruiserweights of WCW. Taka nails a dropkick to the back of Pantera's head in the ring, which looked great, which looked nasty, quite honestly. Taka gets reversed 
Ronad off the apron and then topeed into the guardrail by Pantera. So some good offense by Pantera. Brian Christopher says he enjoys seeing the slant-eyed guy get beat. So a very uh, non-PC term for 2020 from Brian Christopher. A Steiner recliner to Taka from Pantera. He follows it up with a kick to the spine and then a surfboard. Then he gets dumped outside and eats a tope con hilo to the floor from Pantera, which JR actually calls a tope con hilo, which I was impressed by in 1998. I wasn't at the time, but I am now in 2020. Pantera uses a cloverleaf pinning combination for a near fall. Then he drops an elbow off the top rope, a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker, a hurricane run off the top rope from Pantera into a moonsault, only nets a two-count. He misses another, and Taka hits a knee from the top rope to the back of Pantera's head. Ouch. And he gets rolled up for a two-count. A sit-out powerbomb for a two-count from Taka. A missile dropkick to the back of the head of Pantera. And then he calls for the Mishinoku driver, hits it, and Taka keeps his belt. And then he attacks the Lawlers on the way out. So, a good light heavyweight match. Unfortunately, the crowd wasn't into it because they had no idea who either guy really was. I mean, they knew who Taka was, but they had no idea who Pantera was. And I don't think the WWF knew who Pantera was. And to this day, I'm not exactly sure who Pantera is. I can look up his Wikipedia. I can look up, yeah, he was great at his job or whatever. But that's the problem with their light heavyweight divisions. They were always bringing in strangers. A lot like their women's division in the early 90s. They were bringing in a lot of Japanese uh, women to fight with Alondra Blaze, and here in the late 90s to fight with Taka, they were bringing in a lot of luchadors, a lot of people from Japan, and they weren't giving you any background, and so they would go into these matches cold and expect something from the crowd, not get it, and then say, oh, well, this just isn't working, and then give up on both the light heavyweight division and the women's division, so not too surprising here by the result. This is probably the best wrestling match that occurs on the night between anybody because these two guys actually wanted to go out there and work and everybody else was sort of like this is just a raw that we are charging people $25 for so uh, that's my take on this match Kevin Kelly's with Chainsaw Charlie Terry Funk and Mick Foley Cactus Jack on AOL because it's 1998 and if you're on the internet you probably have AOL unless you're my family and you're super cheap, and you don't have AOL, then you're a loser. But they are on AOL, and he asks them, who will be the eighth man in the tag team match tonight? They say they don't know, and they don't care. Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie in the eight-man anything-goes match tonight. Who are your thoughts? Who do you think DX will pick to replace Shawn Michaels? The truth of the matter is, I don't really care who they pick. What I care about is revenge and revenge alone. Terry and I have both had a long time to think about this, and I think we've come up with several creative ways to destroy the New Age Outlaws. And we got Stone Cold to help us out, Owen Hart too. So the name of the game tonight is revenge. Certainly the uh, anything goes, I mean, unsanctioned. Who knows what we'll see tonight? 
Who knows what you'll see, and I don't give a damn who they bring out there as their fourth partner. They can bring whoever they want to because we've got great people in the ring with us, and Owen Hart and Stone Cold. Cactus is on my side. Just remember, this is the hospital, and this is a graveyard, and I'm going to use one of them on them tonight. They think it's a funny situation. It's not funny to me. Everybody else thought it was funny. They made fun of it about pushing us off into a dumpster to hell with them. It wasn't funny to me and Cactus taking that ride into that cement down there it wasn't funny at all and they're gonna, not going to be laughing tonight either well cactus jack and chainsaw charlie are talking to the fans right now on aol and you can too at keyword wwf folks exclusive online coverage tonight of no way out in your hey, house bang! up next the worst match of the night by far the quebecers out to take on the godwins they take a while to engage this is just an awful match. Henry takes both Quebecers down with a double clothesline. Phineas comes in and spine busts Jacques Rougeau, who used to be the Mountie. Then PCO just waits for the hot tag the whole time. The hog farmers get the heat on the former Mountie forever. He finally gets the mild tag to PCO. PCO takes down Phineas to no reaction with a power slam for a two count. Henry breaks it up. PCO gets tagged out and the Mountie comes back in, hits a pile driver to Phineas. Tags in PCO, who dives off the top buckle for a two-count. Henry, though, clotheslines PCO from the apron, and Phineas gets the win out of nowhere to no reaction as this match died a death. No one gave a fuck about the Godwins in 98, which is why they had to be repackaged as Southern Justice. It still didn't work out, and then we got Naked Midian, so... There you go. PCO, it turns out, in 2020 would be doing just fine, but everyone else in this match, pretty much out of the ring by now, except uh, Jacques ended up on an episode of uh, Dark Side of the Ring last year talking about, uh, I believe it was Dino Bravo. So, there you go. That's the update on (laughs) these four individuals. Doc Hendricks is with the New Age Outlaws, The New Age Outlaws then say they're on a mission to find the Eighth Man. I thought this would be some sort of uh, skit throughout the night where we would catch up with them trying to look for the Eighth Man. No, no, they didn't bother with that. They said they're on a mission to find him, and that's it. Yeah, they'll just go look for him, and we just have to take their word for it. Did, is that what you brought me out here for? To find out who, who, the, who our partner was? The New Age Outlaws, we don't even know who our partner is. I thought you were going to tell us, DOC. What's going on in the World Wrestling Federation when the ones who sport the gold don't even have any decision-making? Uh, you know, they're not even included in the process. Well, don't, don't you ma- think you should be in the right, Well, you're damn right we should be. What we demand is a little respect. What? Maybe we ought to just start grabbing some respect if nobody's going to give it to us. Well, I, 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 I'll tell you what. You know, this is ridiculous. We demand respect, and I'll tell you what. We'll just take it in our own hands and we'll go find out who it is. Come on. Bottom of this. All right. Well, JR King, it looks like the WWF tag team champions are just like us as far as the eighth man. They've seen to be in the dark. We get one of those classic WWF attitude promos. This isn't real. Try lacing my boots. I know what you're thinking. I'm not a real athlete, I'm just a wrestler. I'm six foot ten, three hundred and twenty-eight pounds. I won boxing's golden gloves three years in a row. I was a national champion at the University of Miami. My jersey was retired at Florida State. I was the ultimate fighting champion. When you step through those ropes, bad things do happen. And over two hundred stitches. I've suffered a dozen concussions. I've broken bones. I've separated shoulders. Air broke my neck. I've blown out knees. But I still got up. This is who I am. 
This is what I do. I'm not really an athlete. This isn't real. Try lacing my boots. Up next, now Patrick would have loved this. This would have been his match of the night. The NWA North American Championship is out next with Double J, Jeff Jarrett, leading out the NWA contingent of Jim Cornette, Barry Windham, and the Rock and Roll Express. The 1980s are here in 1998. Double J's entrance theme is terrible. He's going to take on Blackjack Bradshaw, who has a huge goatee, and his goatee makes him look older than he is in 2020 for some reason, 98. Jimmy Corderas tosses the NWA cronies except for Cornette, who has a manager's license so he can stay. This is the first time in WWF pay-per-view history where an NWA title will be defended. So a bit of history here tonight. History that no one cares about at all. Bradshaw just starts wailing on Jeff Jarrett with chaps on. <laughs> Doesn't bother taking his chaps off. And he actually uses his chaps as a weapon. He takes them off and starts beating Jeff Jarrett with them. Doesn't get DQ'd. Bradshaw laying some nasty stiff shots to Jarrett. And Bradshaw, man, what a fucking asshole this guy is. A big boot and a clothesline takes Jarrett out of the ring. Jarrett's singlet is awful here as he's doing this NWA gimmick. Jarrett recovers with Cornette on the outside, then gets in the ring and hits a missile dropkick to Bradshaw. Cornette chokes Bradshaw behind the ref's back. This causes Bradshaw to give chase, eat a clothesline from Jarrett for a two count. Jarrett tries a sunset flip, but Bradshaw just punches him in the face. Cornette slams the racket into Bradshaw's bad knee, so Jarrett works over his leg. Bradshaw misses a clothesline from hell, and Jarrett lands a DDT. Bradshaw wants a superplex. Jarrett shoves him down, tries a crossbody. Bradshaw catches him into a fallaway slam, followed by a powerbomb, then brings Cornette into the ring. Bradshaw whips Cornette into Jarrett, which gives him the tennis racket. So Jarrett's caught the racket, and he racket shots Bradshaw right in front of Jimmy Corderas and gets the DQ loss, but gets to keep his NWA North American title. The NWA then run out to challenge Bradshaw, but he fights them off because the NWA are a bunch of jobbers. Cornette then gets scoop slammed by Bradshaw. Wyndham, who is Bradshaw's former tag team partner, trips him, and the NWA put the boots to Bradshaw. So Bradshaw is getting the shit kicked out of him. And for no reason, apparently, the Legion of Doom run down to make the save. This is their big return after having their heads shaved and uh, being disgraced by the New Age Outlaws and DX. But this is their big return. And this is all they would do tonight. And they would leave... And we would see them again at WrestleMania 14 as LOD 2000, but this is all they did tonight, was run down and make the save. Not much to say about that match. The NWA were jokes in the WWF, that WWF run. It was very weird that they tried it. I'm sure Cornette was the one pushing it, but it didn't work, and it should have never, never been even attempted by the WWF. Michael Coles with Triple H in China... He wants to know who's the 8th man. Triple H says nobody can replace Shawn Michaels, so he decided it'll be a handicap match. And they're just going to have the disadvantage. They're going to go 3 on 4, the heels with the disadvantage. Michael Cole says, well, the WWF will appoint one if you don't name one. Triple H says, okay, whatever. Doesn't seem to be too concerned. You know something, little man? Everybody in the world wants to be a part 
of DX. Since we found out that Shawn Michaels wasn't going to be here tonight to wrestle, the world has been beating down our door. The phones haven't stopped ringing. Shawn Michaels' phone hasn't stopped ringing. My phone hasn't stopped ringing. China's phone hasn't stopped ringing. Wrestlers from all over this planet want to be involved in the only true franchise in professional wrestling today, and that is DX. It doesn't matter where they're from, Japan, the South, up North. It doesn't matter. They all want to be here because we're the ones that make it happen. We're the ones that get the ratings. We're the ones that get the job done. And what I have decided in my infinite wisdom is that there is absolutely nobody on this planet that can match the icon, the showstopper, the main event, Shawn Michaels. There is not a wrestler on this planet that can take his place. There is nobody on this planet that deserves to be in DX. So what I have decided is that tonight it will be a handicap match. Well, but, 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 but Hunter, if... Shut up. Four men versus three. We're going to go into that ring and we're going to get the job done because it doesn't matter how many of us there are, we're still going to do it. But, you know, if you don't have a partner, WW officials are probably going to uh, appoint one to your team. Oh, boy. I'm supposed to be scared? WWF officials can do whatever they want. You want to stick somebody in the ring with us? Go right ahead. They can stand on the ring apron. They can hold up the turnbuckles. They can hold up the ropes. They can do whatever they want. I don't care. It isn't going to matter. Three on four, four on four. Pick whoever you want. It doesn't matter. The result is the same. You're going down. Then we go to Doc Hendricks, who's with the Nation of Domination. This is the War of Attrition match. What does that mean exactly? Nothing. That's what it means. Nothing. The war of attrition is nothing. Is there dissension in the nation? Farouk and Rock argue over leadership of the nation of domination. And this is a great jiffable moment, or gifable moment, depending on how you say it, as the Rock just mugs and poses for the camera while Farouk talks. We have seen some dissension in the nation. One has to wonder, will we see a disintegration in the nation tonight? And I guess the best way to find out is to ask the leader of the Nation of Domination. Well, it's a good thing, Doc, that you asked the Rock. You're just begging me to whoop your ass, ain't you? Now, you know what? Now, I don't know who you've been talking to, but it's obvious that you had not talked to me. I'll pull a rank around here, and everybody better remember that. When I say fall in, that's exactly what I mean. Now, I'm going to show you tonight when I say fall in, I'm going to make Ken Shamrock, DOA, Ahmed Johnson, and everybody else fall in right behind me. Well, speaking about falling in, you guys have had your fallouts with the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock. I think it started at Survivor Series, went through the Royal Rumble. But I think the most heinous act that you guys have perpetrated on Ken Shamrock happened last week on Raw is War. Take a look. Now, Rock, look at the velocity you... Man! Oh! Now, you know, I'm sure I don't have to remind you, but you know he is the world's most dangerous man. Listen, man, let me tell you something. The most dangerous man? I've lived in some of the most dangerous neighborhoods. Do you think that means anything to me? No, I've got another story for you. We're going to go out here and show you exactly what we stand for. When I say kick anybody's ass, I mean by any means necessary. Tonight. On Raw, The Rock smacked Ken Shamrock in the face with a chair. The nation then walk out, and in the background is a huge rebel flag in the crowd, so not everyone was into the Nation of Domination gimmick. 
especially in southern Texas. Rocky Sucks chants Ken Shamrock leads Ahmed Johnson and DOA to the ring. Ahmed Johnson, who was almost in Rock's place in the Nation of Domination, something I always like to point out, that had Ahmed Johnson not gotten injured, he was going to be that spot. So everything could have changed for The Rock had Ahmed Johnson not gotten injured as he was prone to do. So Ken Shamrock leads Ahmed Johnson and DOA to the ring, complete with chains and skull and eight ball. So it's a five on five match leading into a four on four match. D'Lo Brown will start with skull. This is an elimination match. They say it's not though. JR and King don't know the rules. Skull does some corner punches to D'Lo, gets an atomic drop and a heel kick. Shamrock comes in for a bit, dominates D'Lo before Chains and Kama Mustafa come in. Chains lands some quick elbows to Kama, but Mark Henry takes over. Henry wants Ahmed as these two powerhouses want to go at it. Ahmed does a shitty slam to Mark Henry and he tags in D'Lo who jumps Ahmed from the back. D'Lo wants something from the top, but Ahmed rolls away. And D'Lo frog splashes him anyway across the ring, which means Ahmed didn't know what the fuck was going on, but D'Lo still made it work. Farouk paintbrushes Ahmed Johnson when he comes into the ring. Ahmed hits a spine buster to Farouk. He wants the Pearl River plunge, but The Rock saves Farouk. Eight Ball comes in, power slams Farouk for a two count. Shamrock comes in with The Rock, who DDTs him for a two count. Kama misses a hoe train to Shamrock. Skull and 8-Ball double-team Kama, the fighting machine. D'Lo then lands a frog splash to Skull, but DOA breaks the cover. A people's elbow to Skull before it was the people's elbow. Chains breaks the cover. Rock low blows Skull behind the ref's back. Tags in Mark Henry. Kama slams Skull, locks in a rest hold. D'Lo comes back in as Skull has been in the ring forever, getting all the heat. Then D'Lo goes for a moonsault, misses. Shamrock gets the hot tag. All ten men brawl. Rock also gets a tag during this. Then Shamrock belly-to-bellies The Rock. Fujiwara armbar into an ankle lock, and The Rock taps out. And this elimination match isn't an elimination match, and Ken Shamrock wins for his team of losers for the most part so there you go uh the nation of domination looking very weak heading into wrestlemania 14 where they would look weak again but rock would escape with his intercontinental belt again this is a match that could have taken place on raw it wouldn't have changed anything uh all these matches are raw matches this is if hey Do you want to pay $25 to see this Raw? That's what this pay-per-view is. And that's what what this match is, just like all the others. So Rock and Fruit get into it after the match. And the leadership of the nation is in uh, disarray. And uh, they eventually settle things, though, and hit their group pose with the fists in the air. And so everything's okay with the nation, at least for this week. Until... A few weeks later when it's not. Michael Coles was Stone Cold Steve Austin. He doesn't care about who the 8th man is. He's glad to be in Texas. And he doesn't really give a shit about anything. Stone Cold, uh, we're just a few minutes away from the main event. Your 8-man tag team match. And we still don't know who one of your opponents is uh, going to be. You know, and I really don't give a two craps who the mystery partner is. And everybody keeps asking me, Stone Cold, is it good to be back in Texas? Well, I'm not a sentimental person, but I'll tell you like this. It's fun to beat someone's ass anywhere in the world. 
But if you beat someone's ass in Texas, then you've done something. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. And if you don't get the hell out of here, I'll start with your ass. Uh, gentlemen, back, back to you. Up next, Vader meets Kane. A promo package recaps the feud after Taker was set on fire and murdered by Kane. Vader stepped up to take his place because he's going to fight the good fight for a guy that he personally had problems with. But that's fine. He, he well, Look, when he got burned alive, it changed everything. Vader comes out to a big reaction. Kane comes out to a medium-sized reaction but goes toe-to-toe with Vader and Vader and Kane exchange strikes. They brawl on the ramp. Vader low-blows Kane once they get into the ring. Vader lands some forearms to Kane's head. Then he takes Kane out of the ring, puts him into the post. They get into the ring. Kane puts Vader in the post and beats him down. Then he hits a snap suplex to Vader. Kane goes on the offense for a while and then slams Vader again. Kane DDTs Vader. Vader wakes up finally, hits some clubbing forearms. Kane wants to choke slam. Vader low blows him to escape again. Vader goes for a moonsault and connects. But Kane does the sit up spot. He's no selling Vader's moonsault. He gets clotheslined out of the ring. Vader gets thrown into the ring steps, so Vader uses a fire extinguisher to blind Kane. Again, the ref has no problem with this. Vader power bombs Kane, which is quite impressive because Kane is Glenn Jacobs is a massive man. Then he decks Paul Bear, his former manager, but Kane capitalizes, choke slams Vader. Vader stands right up, only to walk into a tombstone. One, two, three. Kane wins the match, then decks Vader with a wrench, like a a big ass wrench that you would use to turn giant bolts. I, I don't know what you would use this wrench for. He decks him with it, and they have to roll out Vader on a stretcher. This is so Vader could be written off TV to go get surgery, but he would be back in time for the Inferno match at Armageddon. And so, that is the write-off. They need to keep Vader strong, but no Undertaker tease here. No Undertaker gong. No... Uh, I'm coming for you, Kane. Nothing to suggest that Undertaker is coming back. Something you would think for the pay-per-view you would use. I mean, he doesn't have to walk out there and challenge him. You can save that for Raw, but, I mean, no indication whatsoever. I mean, as far as you're concerned here at No Way Out, the Undertaker is actually a dead man. A promo package recaps the main event for tonight, the eight-man tag. And they didn't bother cutting Shawn Michaels out of the recap. Hey, no time for that. No time to do any of that. How far is too far? These eight men have taken it to the edge and shoved it right over. Don't you dare do that! This team of degenerates is led by the WWF champion. You know there's a lot of people mad at us, but that's okay. The World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions of the World. I am more man than you could ever hope to be. You don't call the shots around here. I do. This team of individuals is out of control, and they refuse to be led by anyone. Okay, nobody's going to back me up because I don't need anybody to back me up. All of my life, I've been a hardcore wrestler. I hate the fact that my career nearly ended in a garbage can. I'm the man that stopped Stone Cold Steve Austin in his tracks. 
Now, these eight men who have wreaked havoc throughout the World Wrestling Federation are thrown together with one eye on the ring and the other looking over their shoulder. Each of these factions are playing, can you top this? Owen Hart, if you get the Stone Cold's way, I'll drop you right on your head just like I would anybody. In a match like this, the ring might be the safest place. Cactus Jack told us early on that he wants to fight up there on the ramp, not in the ring. We may need another ambulance. The DDT on STL 30. But the man responsible for so much of the mayhem will not set foot in the ring. Instead, he will manipulate from the sidelines. Shawn Michaels will handpick his successor. Tonight, in the match that will shape WrestleMania, only Shawn Michaels can calculate what lies ahead. If there is anything left of you, we will sweep the remains under the rug at no way out. Someone's going to get their clip in Houston, and that's the bottom line. Eight men who have already gone too far will dictate our future tonight. And then they mention in this recap, Shawn Michaels gets to handpick his successor, which is not true. They could not decide how this person would be picked at all. Okay, so they, in this promo package, Shawn Michaels gets to handpick his successor. That didn't happen. Uh, Triple H said, we'll go handicap match. That didn't happen. And Michael Cole said, well, they'll just appoint someone. That sort of did happen, but we're not sure exactly who, because there's no commissioner at this time. Gorilla Monsoon is not the commissioner anymore of the WWF here in 98. So I, I don't know how they came to the conclusion they did, but they they picked an eighth man. Fink introduces this non-sanctioned match. Yes, this non-sanctioned match with WWF officials that ends in a pinfall. Non-sanctioned. I, I always hate when they use that terminology. Oh, you didn't know? The New Age Outlaws are out first. Road Dog disses the Oilers because he's in Houston and they moved to Tennessee and he does his intro. And then he introduces Triple H, which is sort of weird that he didn't just hand the mic back to Fink, but okay. And then Fink announces the eighth man. Oh my god, who could it be? Someone from WCW? Someone from the past? Someone from the future? We don't know. Representing Los Bariquas, Savio Vega. Boo. And no theme song at first. They eventually piped it in. That is our replacement, Savio Vega to replace Shawn Michaels, but when I thought about it, there's really not a good replacement. The roster was pretty thin. I don't know if they had Sean Waltman under contract at this point. They might have. There was probably a, at this point there was probably no non-competes in wrestling, so they could have brought X Pac in. But if they had done that, then they risk the heels getting cheered, and they didn't want to risk that. So they're in a tough position. And so my solution to this eight-man tag is simple. Okay, I have two possible solutions, and they could use either one. They didn't. They went with Savio Vega just to fill out the team, but 
My first solution is to just have Shawn Michaels come anyway. Get in his gear. It's an eight-man tag. He doesn't have to wrestle. If he tags in, he can always just fake him out, tag out, and be a chicken shit heel. That's what Shawn Michaels was good at and uh, great at, especially being injured. He doesn't have to take a bump. He's in Texas, uh, so he probably would have gotten a positive reaction had he been there, so you're not really, even had you picked someone from Texas, I mean, I just don't understand why they didn't just have Shawn Michaels go in there and stand there to be a placeholder, because it's not an elimination match, he doesn't have to take a fall, he can uh, chicken shit his way out of engaging with Austin, he could even waddle around avoiding Austin, I know he's in a lot of pain, and you could say, oh, maybe he couldn't get out of bed or whatever, This is Shawn Michaels. This is somebody that I don't have a lot of credibility for as far as his injuries go. I understand that his back injury is very real, and you can see that from watching WrestleMania 14, but as far as the severity and whether he could get out of bed or whether he could drive three hours to to Houston to stand in the the corner, I, I think he probably could have, because he did... A uh, 15-minute match at WrestleMania 14, albeit uh, very, very tough on him, uh, this requires less work than that, and it's equally as important, I think, to your company. So, uh, so I would have just had him show up anyway, even if he's not going to do much. The other option I would have had is I would have changed from an 8-man to... Like a six-man, basically, and had, okay, it's three guys, and they're facing four, so they take out, uh, the Outlaws take out Chainsaw Charlie and Mick Foley. So then you get two on three, so that way the heels don't have the advantage. So you have the Outlaws and Hunter taking on Austin and Owen as a tag team, and maybe towards the end of the match you have Terry Funk and Mick Foley run out, and uh, make the odds in the in the face's favor. Uh, that's probably what I would have done. You, you don't even have to have both of them. You could just have one of them, and then that makes it. That's fine. I mean, you just you, if someone's irreplaceable. If someone is truly irreplaceable, he cannot be replaced, and that's what they should have done. I think in either way, like you get the guy there to stand there or he's not there and you change the match because uh, it turns out Savio didn't even take the fall in this match. Didn't even take the fall. So he wasn't even... They didn't even bother changing how this match was going to be ended. They didn't even change how it was scripted to end just because Savio was there. Even though when Savio Vega got put in, he's taken the fall. If I'm the one booking the match. But instead they just went with what they went ahead and had jotted down on a piece of paper and said, okay, one of the outlaws is going to take the fall. And then the other outlaw is going to take a stunner. And so, yeah, to me, I just think there's better ways to do this. But again, once again, this this whole card was so bad, I can't imagine anybody actually spending the money for it. I'll look up the buy right here at the end of the review, but it's just, it's just nuts. Owen Hart comes out first for the faces. Funk and Foley are out next with all the plunder. And then the Texas crowd goes wild for Stone Cold Steve Austin, 
who takes on Billy Gunn when he comes in the ring. Des Preston punches to Billy Gunn, then atomic drop and trash can lid shots as everyone starts brawling because it's an ODQ match, so tags really aren't expected or needed. So they just brawl, but they keep the brawling all located central ring, so it's not too out of control. So I, this is one melee that I'm not too... Uh, I'm not going to hate on because they kept it all right there in the center of the camera on the hard camera side. So he goes for a stunner, but Billy Gunn runs. Austin clears the ring except for Hunter. He goes for a cover after a clothesline for a two count. Hits Hunter with a mop, chokes him with it, breaks it over Hunter's back. Funk and Foley bring a table into the ring. Austin crotches Hunter, Hunter with a camera cave on the outside of the ring. Owen throws Gunn through a table. A sharpshooter to Gunn, but Hunter saves him. Funk chair shots Gunn. Savio and Gunn battle it out near the commentator's table. Austin gets his ass kicked by the heels. Owen gets powerbombed by Hunter for a two count. Austin drops another trash can lid shot on Gunn. Funk no-sells about a million garbage can lid shots from Hunter. And then swings wildly as he was uh, selling his effects from the garbage cans shots. And then swings wildly and then he gets DDT'd by Hunter for a two count. Owen goes for the sharpshooter again, but Road Dog stops it with a chair shot. Chainsaw Charlie gets powerbombed on two chairs by the New Age Outlaws. Then the match finally settles to a tag format. Everyone, about halfway through this match, everyone decided, hey, you know what? We're going to play this like a regular tag match. So they go for regular tag rules. So there you go. Fung gets piled, driven on a trash can lid by gun. So it's still no rules, but we're going to respect the tag rules because this is a tag team match. Savio comes into the ring and uses Funk's suspenders to beat him down like he'd been studying IRS. Austin launches a garbage can across the ring, takes out Gunn while the heels get the heat on Funk. Funk gets a blind tag to Owen, but Earl didn't see it, so it doesn't count even though this is a no-DQ match. The heels get the heat on Funk forever. I mean, Terry Funk was not going to uh, leave the ring here. Foley gets a hot tag, runs wild, sends Gunn into Road Dog, who was behind a piece of table, so he sends the, the tag champs into one another. A double arm DDT to Road Dog gets broken up by Gunn, who is missile drop kicked then by Owen. So a great sequence there. Foley gets the mandible claws on the outlaws, but Hunter low blows him. Foley takes Gunn out of the ring only to get DDT'd. Gunn slams Foley into stairs, and now Hunter takes over in the ring. Savio wraps Foley in barbed wire, and then Foley takes cheer shots from Hunter and vicious chair shots from Savio while he's wrapped in the barbed wire. Gun goes for one, but nails Road Dog accidentally. Austin gets the hot tag, cleans house. Austin tosses Savio out of the ring, stomps a mud hole to Hunter and Gun. Stunner to Road Dog. One, two, three. Stone Cold Steve Austin pins Road Dog to win the match. Then, for good measure, gives a stunner to Billy Gunn, and then China gets in Stone Cold Steve Austin's face and gets a stunner to a huge pop as men on women violence was very popular in 1998. Uh, this was a good main event, but it wasn't a pay-per-view main event. This was good. If this was on Raw, I'd, I'd give it a very high score, but since it was on pay-per-view, not so much. Not very good 
at all. It was disappointing. I'm glad that they gave it the no DQ stipulation, but at the same time, I wish that they had figured out something other than Savio Vega. Also, Savio Vega was the head of a faction. The Los Periquas. Where were the Los Periquas to come out and at least get stunned? I'm not saying they have to help out in the match, but uh, where were they? They were just non-existent. Was he a part of DX? No, he was just there. The other three guys didn't acknowledge him. And so, like I said, I would have done this differently, but this is what they went with, and this is the result they got. Now, to their credit, this is a February pay-per-view, and February pay-per-views to them don't mean a whole lot. And in WCW, what they did in February of 1998, uh, we'll talk about here for a second. So a week after this, WCW ran Super Brawl 8, which had matches including Booker T defeating Rick Martell, uh, and then defeating Perry Saturn. This was the pay-per-view where Rick Martell's knee got really messed up. Then we had Chris Jericho and Juventud Guerrero, British Bulldog and Steve Mongo McMichael, so awesome there. DDP and Chris Benoit, Lex Luger and Randy Savage, The Outsiders and the Steiner Brothers, and then Sting and Hulk Hogan. Oh, there's no choice here. WCW had a much, much better show for February of 1998, but if you were keyed into the WWF product, this is this is what you got, guys. This is what you got. But the tide was going to change rapidly after WrestleMania 14, so uh, there you go. And uh, of course, uh, Super Brawl 8 also was Super Brawl 8 was also, of course, going to be the Larry Zbysko's Luis Piccoli match, and Luis Piccoli passed away prior to that match, so that didn't happen. But the rest of the card, very, very solid, and um, easily. Easily a better show. I haven't even seen Super Brawl 8, uh, probably ever. And I can tell you just from looking at the card, it's a much better match. I, I think I watched the Rick Martel match to see his his injury, his career-ending injury, where they had to totally change the booking and uh, go against Saturn. So they had to rework the finish, but they, they improvised the entire match between Booker and Saturn, and... I think that's pretty impressive. So, a good WCW pay-per-view versus a terrible WWF pay-per-view. But then, it all changed next month. Uh, because WrestleMania 14 would pretty much turn the tide of the Monday Night War. Turn the tide of the Wrestling War. And change wrestling forever when Stone Cold Steve Austin beat Shawn Michaels for the WWF title. Even though the rest of that card... I mean, it was pretty much laid out for you on this card. Uh, Hunter's going to take on Owen. The New Age Outlaws are going to take on Chainsaw Charlie and Mick Foley. There was pretty much not a lot of mystery in that card. The Rock and Ken Shamrock were going to go at it. So this pretty much laid it out. So you knew a month in advance. You didn't get a lot of satisfying finishes to those matches, but you did for the main event. And that's really all that mattered because that's what WWF uh, pretty much did uh, for a long time. Even after the closure of WCW, I would I dare say their main events were better than their undercard. And that's what happened here tonight was their main event was pretty good. 
but it was still pretty bad. It was, it was good. It was good on a bad card. And uh, I don't know who you would have picked other than Savio. I don't. I don't have a, a good answer for you. But in your house, no way out of Texas '98. I can't believe they reused the name because of how bad it was and what bad luck they had going into it. So. On our rating scale of Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, I'm going to give this one a Pantera because he is a small guy. He appeared a couple times in the WWF and then never appeared again. And that's what No Way Out in Texas pretty much did. It was something you remember for a minute and then forget about how either good or awful it was. And then you relive it several years later and uh, it's really bad and it's a waste of your time if you're a fan of ours go to retrowrestlingpodcast.com or go to retro w podcast on twitter and follow us there or go to facebook retro wrestling podcast or use the promo code retro wrestling on powerslam.tv and get a month for free today we will be back soon i can't promise you it's next week or the week after Uh, The way things are, it's very, very crazy, but we will be back very soon, one way or another, whether it's uh, me solo or Patrick with me or me with uh, someone else. I I don't know what's going to happen, but we will be back very, very, very soon. All you have to do is keep it locked to RetroWrestlingPodcast.com or on your favorite podcast device. I say device, I mean like your Apple Podcast or your Downcast or Stitcher or whatever you use. And just wait for the next upload to come out because I can pretty much guarantee you it's not going to be another two weeks. But uh, that'll do it for this week. As always, I'm Intern Alex saying Bingo Bango. With Triple and H. now, joining Degeneration X and the New Age Outlaws... Representing Los Boricuas, Savio Vega. Savio Vega being introduced to a chorus of booze for this non-sanctioned matchup. And certainly, this was, I suppose, the WWS selection game because DX wanted to go four on three. They were ready to compete in the handicap matchup. Well, I'll tell you what. If I was a DX member right now, I would have a secret smile on my face. Because you see, they got a heck of a partner right there, whether they know it or not, and I think they know it. You gotta wonder where the other Bariquas are. You gotta wonder what other aces that D-Generation X and perhaps the New Age Outlaws have up their sleeve. Is this their trump card?